You're listening to Power and Public Space, a co-production of Drawing Matter and the Architecture Foundation. I'm your host, Matthew Blunderfield. Last year, the Swiss practice Manuel Herz Architects completed a wooden synagogue west of Kiev at Babinyar, the site of one of the bloodiest massacres of the Second World War. In March of 2022, as Russian forces attempted to take Kiev, missiles once again struck the land near the mass grave. The attack was likely an attempt to destroy Kiev's largest TV tower, and five civilians were killed. While not the deadliest missile strike to hit Kiev, it was perhaps the most symbolic. In this episode, I speak with Manuel Herz, who discusses the historic implications of the Russian attack. He also explains the approach his practice took to memorializing the Babinyar atrocity, which, in place of the heavy, fixed structures typical of Holocaust memorials, proposes a light and transformative place of worship and public exchange. This interview was recorded in May of 2022. Manuel was in his practice in Switzerland, and I was at the Architecture Foundation in London. So here it is, my interview with Manuel Hertz. So you completed this wooden synagogue in the west of Kiev just a few months ago on the site of Babin Yar, where uh, one of the bloodiest massacres of the Second World War took place. Around 34,000 Jews from the city were killed by the Nazi party over two days in 1941. This is one of the largest mass killings during the Holocaust. Of course, this area was once again under attack. I just want to know, first off, what went through your head when you realized that the site had yet again been attacked, this time by Russian forces? Um, well, it, uh, of course, I was, I was feeling a little bit of, a, let's say, sadness, um, disappointment, uh, or, or also fear. Um, or a combination of all of these um, sadness, uh, because somehow it it becomes clear that even though these sites are meant to uh, teach us something about the, the the massacres and the horrors of of war and the horrors of these massacres, uh, it seems that um, we don't learn anything. Uh, no, we we kind of history repeats itself, um, and then. Uh, there's of of course also uh, fear and anxiety of of people b- being killed just 150 meters away from from the structure. Of course, um, any loss of human life is is much 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 worse than than the destruction of the of the building itself. Um, uh, so uh, five people were killed, and and uh, this is incredibly tragic uh the war the war the ongoing war is is um much more tragic uh and and maybe beyond words um but also um if that building um would have um been destroyed um thankfully so far it's it's been intact um but it would all would also have uh, told a certain kind of story or lesson of of uh, a certain kind of failure and then maybe thirdly, um, uh, it also maybe shows something that is very typical for Europe. Um, know that war returns to places where war has been in the past. Um, that uh, uh, we uh, 
um, we often tend to forget uh, that uh, um, uh, Europe is a, 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 a continent that is marked uh, by war and acts of war and acts of aggression, and they almost like a palimpsest uh, are a kind of building on top of each other, on top of each other, on top of each other. We can't claim uh, uh, kind of innocence. Uh, almost every square meter of Europe has been is is, is soaked in blood uh, over the last centuries uh, and beyond, and. Um, and often we see that it returns to the, the exact uh, places uh, where it has been before. And, and in a way, therefore, Babinyar is, is paradigmatic uh, for Europe's history of, of war, Europe's history of aggression. We've just had, uh, we were just lucky. Um, this, our fortunate generation were just lucky that um, it didn't hit us in the last few decades. Mm. You've mentioned elsewhere that we might think that the appropriate response to this almost unbelievably inhumane massacre should be an architecture that is somber, minimalist, and monumental, and that the architectural history of Holocaust memorials is full of these. But you wanted to approach the project in a very different way. Could you talk more about the approach you took to designing the Babignard Memorial? Yeah, I mean, when I received the the commission to to design the synagogue, and that's um, maybe a year ago or or just over a year ago, um, I I I felt, of course, a certain kind of honor. You know, this is really one of the ground zeros of European history of twentieth century European history. Um, and um, it's a certain kind of honor, one can say, to, to, to be commissioned to, to build on, on this ground, uh, the ground that has seen more death than almost any other place uh, uh, in, on this continent. <clears throat> and um, uh, I also felt a certain kind of responsibility. How do I act as an architect? Uh, what do I do? Um, and... Um, as you as you mentioned or as you quoted, uh, um, I think there is a certain kind of almost like a genre of commemorative architecture, uh, memorial architecture, that tends to express this commemoration through um, somberness. We know, of course, the Holocaust uh, Memorial in Berlin uh, by Eisenman, um, uh, and we know of many many others. There's almost a, a, a certain kind of stupid equation that is made um, that the heaviness of the crime needs to be equated um, with the heaviness of materiality. So everything is, everything is in concrete, uh, in, in big um, stones, uh, it becomes immovable, uh, and uh, uh, these are memorials that you can kind of erect and come back 500 years later and they'll still be there exactly as you've left them. And I thought, this is this is not the right way to approach um, uh, Babinyar, or this is not the way that the way that I want to approach Babinyar, um, for several reasons. Um, one is that it's almost too easy uh, to do it that way. Uh, it's almost too too. Um, now we, like I said, we we can just leave it then uh, the the memorial and and don't even need to worry about it anymore. It'll still be there in five hundred years, and that's almost too. Uh, I think uh, to we can forget about it. Mm, that's so interesting. It's like the monument just takes care 
of itself. And commemoration is so integral to the way you understand the synagogue. Could you talk more about that? Yeah, so uh, I wanted to, to do something that is, um, in a way, completely taking the opposite um, direction and, and um, doing something that is um, transformative. Um, I also thought um, th there's 35,000 Jews that were killed that all had their own, all of these people had their own kind of ideas, hopes, identities, uh, desires, uh, languages, uh, uh, and and... Uh, we cannot reduce it to a single kind of monumental approach. And then there's, of course, many, many ten thousands of people who were killed in the weeks after after the, the massacre. Um, it's a massacre that was ongoing in a way. Uh, so I came up with this uh, uh, idea of, of a building that is transformative, that also brings a new ritual uh, to, the, to the site. I thought um, if the people who visit the site are somehow drawn into it, are somehow uh, become part of that commemorative architecture, um, that is much more appropriate. Um, and if that architecture has this transformative quality, it does not demand a single way of being understood or a single way of being read, but it can maybe open to multiple ways of being understood and read. And, and that was important to me. So <clears throat> this design is, is, is uh, kind of uh, takes inspiration uh, from these kind of pop-up books uh, that unfold a three-dimensional space. And, and that's exactly what we did. We did a, a design a synagogue that physically, manually unfolds um, into a large space, 100 square meters, um, uh, with a very colorful painted interior um, and everything is made of wood. And the ceiling itself, as you say, is painted and it's, it's with the star constellation that would have been visible over Kiev on the date of the massacre in 1941, along with symbols and iconography that reference interiors of historic synagogues of the Ukraine from the 17th and 18th century. And just seeing images of this colored interior of this, as you say, pop-up book of a synagogue. Um, it's incredibly heterogeneous, and it is, in a way, anti-monumental. Yeah, I, 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 I mean, I would claim it's maybe the most uncommon commemorative structure, but I think it goes to the very core what is commemoration, um, uh, I would claim. Uh, the fact that it is made of wood makes it very, very different from all other uh, kind of commemorative structures, no? as, uh, that, which are, as I said before, uh, mostly out of concrete or, or rest their, their commemoration through heaviness. Uh, and uh, here we have a material that has a certain kind of fragility. Uh, and this is, uh, in a way, very important. The fragility of wood means that, in a way, it needs to be cared for continuously. Um, uh, it, it needs to be repaired, it needs to be treated, it needs to be uh, kind of caressed, uh, it, it needs to be loved. So this, this kind of treatment, care, everyday care, is in a way uh, commemoration in, in practice. Uh, and then the, the paintings that you, you mentioned, so first of all, they're referencing a long tradition of, of wooden synagogues from 16th, 17th, 18th century, Western Ukraine, Southern Poland, um, the so-called Pale of Settlements, <coughs> that developed its own very unique um, tradition of synagogue architecture that had incredibly beautifully painted interiors, uh, wooden interiors that were hand painted. So I wanted to kind of pick up that tradition, also that craft, 
and and on the ceiling uh, using for example the flowers um, that we uh, uh, found in in historic uh, synagogues every star is a flower every flower is a star and we depict as you said the star constellation of the night that the massacre began kind of in a way the last thing that the Jews saw be before they were shot um, and then we have this almost kind of uncanny uh, um, nexus of of something very tragic, uh, um, the building marking the precise, almost scientifically precise location and time in history, and something very beautiful, because what you see in the ceiling, I think, is, is, is incredibly beautiful. Um, and this is, in a way, almost uncanny, uh, but it also, of course, is, is, one could say, a religious motif of, of beauty and death uh, being uh, almost like in a cycle. It feels like such a life-affirming space. And you've mentioned that you wanted to design a building in which Jews can pray, but also one that is open to visitors and citizens of Kiev. So how do you set out to accomplish, or how did you set out to accomplish this balancing of religious congregation with a broader form of public gathering? Well, the building is, is in a way very public um, because it, it's literally opens up uh, and and... When it is closed, it's a um, very kind of uh, a simple vertical volume uh, that almost compresses its uh, sacrality inside uh, in an inaccessible space once it's kind of closed. Mm. But when it's open up, um, it consists of two walls, which means the other sides are open uh, uh, and and there's no more secrets also no, that... Um, everything becomes visible also to to uh, visitors that just uh, happen to pass by um you need to know that um babinyar used to mark the edge of the city in the mid 20th century now kiev has grown beyond it um it's almost it's not central but it's it's relatively central now uh, to the the metropolis of kiev and um uh, it's it's a weird mixture, this, this territory. It's um, a site of, of a massacre, but it's also a kind of a, a park for Sunday picnics. Uh, uh, there's a TV uh, station uh, right in the middle of it. Um, there's uh, Imbis uh, snack stands uh, on, on the edge of it. There's an um, underground station uh, uh, at the edge of it. So it's a, it's a weird mixture of... of commemoration of everyday banalities of uh, commercial use um, of of uh, uh, sacred uh, uh, connotations so uh, there's a lot of passerbys uh, passersby and um, uh, the, the building because of its openness um, um, becomes very um, public and and kind of expresses um, its content to to the um, visitors and and uh, in reference to the question of of how, as an architect, do I do I act and do I react uh, to this um, condition of 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 building on on the site of one of the worst massacres, um, I also wanted to create a, a structure, a building, a that is um, that is used. So it's not just commemorative; it's a synagogue that is is used that kind of brings back Jewish life. Uh, active Jewish life um, to the place where it was eradicated eight years ago. And in a way, it's a building that, yes, it does look back um, into history and is commemorative, but that also looks forward, um, that in a way celebrates the beauty of life. Um, 
And I think this is incredibly important that um, on the site where Jewish Kiev was eradicated, we not only pay homage or commemorate uh, those people that have been killed, but we also, in a way, honor them by bringing back life and by celebrating life. Um, so we don't just close a chapter, we open a new chapter to mark uh, kind of optimism uh, on this site, um, which uh, yeah, I tried to do through architecture. Manuel, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Power in Public Space is a co-production of Drawing Matter and the Architecture Foundation. I'm Matthew Blunderfield, and I make the show. Check out the other episodes in this series, which are all online and ready to stream wherever you're hearing this now. If you like the show, leave a rating on iTunes. And thanks for listening. <laughs>